Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith, and it's Health Matters this month. Uh, we're, we're here with uh, ver- our very own Health Matters correspondent, Alan Bellinger. Hello, Alan. Hi there, Danny. It's great to be back with uh, with our listener once again. It's um, it's lovely. So we're going to have a very busy session. Right, okay. It's a very busy session today. Yes, so Uh, we're we're going to be looking at um, uh, St Albans Hospital Elective Hubs, Fertility Treatments and IVF, Children and Measles, Children and COVID, Speaking Up, Cost of Living, Consultant Strikes, but we're starting with a party. Absolutely, starting with a party. Yes, it's it's bunting time, it's time for blue cakes and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the... um, the NHS 75th anniversary was uh, at the beginning of this month, um, and so that's uh, that's all gone well and um, lots of celebrations. But then you sort of ponder and think, well, what what does that signal? Is this a signal of uh, old age within the system? Is it in sad decline? Should it be pensioned off? Uh, or does this long-awaited workforce plan that we had uh, earlier in the month, does that signal investment in the NHS and, um, and, a, and a complete rebuild and um, a new lease of life for it? So, uh, Well, on that very point, yeah. I was surprised because often when governments make announcements, they never talk about particularly long-term things because that possibly needs collaboration with with other parties because they're not necessarily when they're talking about a 15-year plan it is naive of a government to think they might be in for 15 years so a long-term strategy like that you don't hear about very often so when i heard that they were making that sort of commitment i i just i didn't know whether that was something to give hope to the fact that maybe there's 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 help for the nhs or whether it was just another bit of you know, guff that comes out that is meaningless. <laughs> well, let's hope it's not meaningless. I think, I mean, doing a long-term workforce plan like that, I think it's very sensible. I think. Oh yes, and out, uh, in, out in the real world, that's how things happen. But when governments announce policies, exactly, they're always short-term. They're always two to three years. They're normally within their political term. Yeah. And you know, there's a likely to be a general election next year. So um, the the likelihood of that there being the same political party is up for you know for a vote so who you know who knows um but uh, anyway i did, so i didn't know whether this was quite out of the ordinary and quite revolutionary that such a long-term plan was being announced i, I think it is i think it, it's taken a long time to get here and, right. and so i think there's a lot of, of work gone into it um but it has shown enormous growth in terms of headcount with the nhs and um, a very high proportion of the working population of of england um is going to be working in the NHS in future. So I, I think there's a question about how sustainable that really is. Um, but, but despite all of that, let's, let's celebrate the fact they've done 75 years and it's still free at the point of entry. So uh, let's hope that continues. Well it, well, it is at the point of recording this episode, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm being very cynical, aren't I? Uh, very cynical. However, th- this isn't a cause for sort of universal celebration, is it? There, there, there are things that aren't to be celebrated at the moment aren't there no i think this is this particular the week that we're recording this is a very difficult week for the nhs because on monday tuesday this week the junior doctors were out on strike um and and today wednesday thursday um the 
the uh, the consultants are out. Uh, it's not today, but tomorrow and Friday the consultants are out. And, uh, which is which uh, is going to hit golf courses everywhere, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, increase the amount of time they spend on on private healthcare. But, yeah. But um, I don't, just the fact that both of them are out in the same week is just having an enormous effect on on the scheduling of, of appointments. I mean, the number of appointments that will be cancelled for patients, St Albans patients this week, um, at Watford and possibly at the Lister as well. Um, just just an incredibly high figure. And just the, 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 the difficulties that puts on people who are um, unwell at home and, and having to wait wait well even longer for their for their appointment it's, it's mm. really sad and uh, now today as well i don't know if you would have heard this or not but just before i left for this recording we had uh, prime minister's questions and it didn't half sound like our prime minister was blaming junior doctors striking for the waiting lists which sounded incredibly unfair <laughs> if if i heard that properly um yeah, it, i don't know if you caught this or not No, i didn't hear that one sorry i, I, yeah, I was in meetings earlier on today but uh I I, I suppose there is a case to say that the fact that that waiting list is growing quite substantially over the the last few weeks is is down to that growth is down to the the strikes. Well, yes, strike action is not going to reduce. uh, Is absolutely not. Yeah, strike action is not going to help a waiting list reduced. I think that that's fair enough. But yeah, yeah. Um, and and also I, I wonder if it's worth us trying to clarify what a junior doctor is because I'm not sure if how many people are aware that. Most doctors are actually classified as junior doctors, aren't they? Quite a high level, yes, until they're fully qualified as uh, and go on to the consultant. Because it, it, it's, it can take, a, is it, am I right in thinking, it can take up to 10 years after a doctor qualifies as a doctor before they are no longer a junior doctor because of their postgraduate training and, and, and other such education and study that they may undertake. And so until that point, they are a junior doctor. Yeah, and until they develop, because what's... Once they've gone through their training, they're looking to develop their specialist expertise or their generalist expertise as as GP. Hmm. And so, yeah, I go, they, that that training is ongoing and it's not yeah. it's not an instant. So they do five years at medical school and they come out as a doctor, but at that point they are a junior doctor, and it can, as I understand, it can be up to ten years beyond that before they lose the junior part of the title. Uh, yeah, I, because of that ongoing yeah. training and yeah. I, I can't confirm it's absolutely 10 years but it's I believe it's about it's, that it's, yeah certainly certainly it's a good good length of time yeah um, and it just seems to me that uh, you know so when we're talking about junior doctors we're, we're not we're not just talking about um, young um, young doctors that are just like a week or two out of, of thing. You know, it, the, the, I think the phrase is slightly misleading. It, it is. We're actually talking about the vast majority of doctors in the NHS uh, are um, certainly have several years experience. Yeah. It says here a, a junior doctor is a doctor undergoing an average of ten years, although the range is eight to twelve years of further training um, after five years at medical school. Yep. Um, and that's that's kind of um, yeah. Yeah, thanks for checking that. And it's it, it certainly this is I mean, from the BMA, the British Medical Association. That that certainly confirms the fact that, you know, that uh, a lot of those junior doctors have been in and practicing and um, uh, being in the hospital for quite some significant time before they uh, get onto that consultant route. Yeah. So when we hear about the junior doctors. <coughs> potentially being on strike that's a massive amount of the doctors in the nhs exactly mm-hmm. yep 
and and they're and they're typically then working under supervision from the consultants. So, so this this week, for example, the junior doctors being out in the first two days of the week meant the consultants were having to backfill them in situations of emergency, which again massively impacted the golf courses um, that were pretty <laughs> empty Monday and Tuesday. Um, and then with the consultants out this week, then the junior doctors are, there's a limit on what they can perform without uh, someone being there to to. Uh, have it on their risk yeah um and now i heard a, a comment the other day from from a um an older person at my church who, who said i don't mind it when the junior doctors are on strike because then it means if you have to be seen you're going to be seen by somebody with a lot more expertise <laughs> but i don't know if that's i don't even know if that is the silver lining in in this sort of thing because i'm not sure if that is what happens i think probably what happens is if if it's an emergency you're told to come back exactly you know and and anything planned will probably be rescheduled so i I don't think it is that you'll suddenly get seen by some top consultant for your sore thumb i've got a feeling you'll just be made to to wait longer exactly it depends on what else is on that consultant's list as to whether they would see it but uh it's unlikely, I think, yeah. particularly the way that the the service is so stretched at the moment. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it's quite. It's quite a situation that we're in, yeah. and um, yeah, we need to. Uh, well, we need to, we need to hopefully get some sort of resolution to this because it's just it's just in a mess. And and if if we're going to reach another milestone for the NHS, then we need to we need to fix these things, don't we? Indeed, you know, if, yeah. we, if we want to get to 80 years or 100 years of the NHS, <laughs> we, we, we need to do something. Just, just a quick update. So radiographers are also coming out. Um, these are the people who would scan patients. Uh, they're coming out on strike at a number of trusts, including, including Watford. So they're out Monday and Tuesday next week. And the consultants will be out again in uh, August 24th, 25th. Uh, unless there's some movement before then, and I gather as well as well as nurses and doctors that have been on strike, we've had ambulance workers, porters, and and, and other staff as well. Exactly, yes, there's been strikes all over the service. Um, but uh, just just remember, during strike days, uh, your the sur- surgeries and pharmacies will be operating as normal. And if you do have any concerns on a strike day, if it's urgent and life-threatening, ring nine nine nine. Otherwise, there's one one one. Don't don't just uh, sit on it and wait. Okay. So yes. Uh, so um, w- w- well, we've sort of already covered this, haven't we? Really, with doctor strikes. Um, uh, but uh, there is, is there anything else on that that you want to say before we move on? No, let's no. That's okay. So so then let's move on then to um, to cost of living. So let's talk about the, uh, the the cost of living now. With uh, there's a new report um, published by Healthwatch. I'm, I'm a trustee of Healthwatch, so uh, I give you a little bit of publicity. There's a very interesting report on just what what impact is cost of living having on us as citizens of in Hertfordshire. Um, and here's a few headline numbers: 81% of people had reduced their energy bills in the last six months. That's uh, it, it, Obviously, people do you mean do that. Re- uh, reduce their energy use? Yes, right, because yes, their sorry. energy bills have oh, almost yeah. certainly gone up. Sorry, yeah. but they've reduced the, their you're, usage of energy. You're absolutely right. Okay, so reduce their energy, their use of the energy. Yes, sixty-three percent right. um, of people had gone out less. Sixty-one percent had bought cheaper food. Forty percent had reduced car journeys or their use of public transport. And 39% hadn't gone on holiday uh, as, as they had originally planned. So 
it's just showing that you know, we all know the cost of living is going up, but really it's uh, it, it, it's hitting hard. Yeah. And, and one of the things that came out of the report that is it's hitting different categories of people in different ways. So there's six interesting categories that emerge from the report. Um, the first one is families under 54, really badly hit by mortgage rates as well as energy costs. And, and food, but the one that came out specifically for that group was the cost of equipping children for school, particularly at the moment with children moving up from from one school to the next. Mm. Uh, that that cost really hits hard when everything else is going up. Yeah, as it is at the moment. On that very specific thing, I must mention our friends over at the Vineyard Church who run a, a, something called Kit, where they help parents equip kids for school. If you need an item of school uniform um, or, or some other piece of equipment, you can contact them and they will help you find it. Uh, but, you know, and, and I think there is some sort of um, criteria for access to their help. But, but as I understand it, it is very flexible. So if you are in any sort of, like, if you're listening to this now and you or someone you know has any difficulty with, with obtaining new school uniform items for school, you know, other, other equipment items, PE equipment, that sort of thing, uh, do uh, look up the Vineyard Church and uh, look for the project they do called Kit. And we'll put, in fact, we'll put a link to that in this, um, in our podcast notes now. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And, uh, and, and, and the, cause the other thing that's important for, for children at school is, is computers. I mean, they're more, they're more and more dependent on, um, on computers these days. And with the shortage of chips, and the prices are going up really significantly there. Um, mm. So, so that, was, that was families under 50, with parents under 54. Um, single families were the second one that really came out. Uh, in, in single parent families, 93% were very concerned about the impact of inflation. So virtually 100% of, of that cohort. Um, so 93% were very concerned against the average, which was 72%. Um, and, and their concerns were very much food, rent, energy. And they, that group specifically highlighted prescriptions. The number of, in that group that have prescriptions that they can't afford to cash because... Um, there isn't the money to cash to get the prescription, and therefore they're really putting their their health at risk as a result of that. Sure. Um, third group is ethnicity. People from minority backgrounds uh, were proportionally hit harder, um, and there was significant in evidence among this group of, of a reluctance to come forward and seek help. And uh, I think the the message I think and I'll stress it by at the end of this piece because there is help available out there. And so if you're worried or concerned about the impact of cost of living, then um, then there is help to be got. Um, people who are disabled and long-term conditions reported that um, they were having problems accessing equipment. And, and one of the things they said was the, the difficulty they had at actually getting to medical appointments, um, which came out of that group. Um, the, the fifth group were carers, um, and I think they reported especially real problems around coping um, and the one there was that they they tend to find that they could not reduce their energy bills because of the need for um, whoever they were caring for to have a, 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 a normal environment in which in which to be yes yeah, so often if, if you're um, if you're caring for somebody things like the the 
the room temperature, um, uh, sometimes powering equipment as well. You know, all these things that they're going to be such a drain, and you can't really reduce your usage. Absolutely, there. absolutely. Um, That's the lifeblood, and you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't change that. And, yeah. the, and the final group were a group that we called just about managing. They were in the survey. They were, it was clear that they were just about keeping their heads above water. But any significant financial event that came down the pipe was going to cause real problems. And, and among that group, um, there was a, the vast majority of that group had looked at ways of getting additional income, whether that was additional jobs, uh, part-time working, or, uh, or, or even looking at, at loans. And um, so the, it, the point that came out of the report, and I, and I recommend it, we've got the link on the on the website um, and it's a hard read it really is a hard read because there's lots of examples of people who are, who are really suffering um, so the, the link to the web to that report is on the website uh, but I think I really would stress the Hearts County Council who commissioned this report and, and used it to put together a whole series of web pages around the support that's available Again, the link to that is on the website, and that covers areas like money advice, energy support, food support, NHS support, support for families, and holiday activities for, for kids. And um, uh, one number that I really recommend if you're having any difficulty at all at coping at the moment is there's a, there's a fabulous group called Hearts Help. Um, the number is 0300 123 4044. Call them. And if you're desperate or have problems in any way, shape or form, they can point you to resources that will help. That's 0300 123 4044. They also have a website, which is heartshelp.net, that you can check out. And uh, all of this information is in the article that Alan has written, which you can find the link to that article in the episode notes of this uh, episode right now. And also you can find it on our website at stalbanspodcast.com. Now, uh, we're moving on to speaking up, Alan. So uh, you don't need to, you've got a microphone, but, 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 <laughs> but yeah, speak up. <laughs> I shall speak up. Um, so, so really, have you, have you ever experienced any, any um, experienced poor service from the, from the NHS or from social services? Because um, if you have, in all probability, you whinged about it and moaned about it but you didn't actually do anything and you'd left it oh i always find a mate and i just moan at him and i feel better then (laughs) catharsis is wonderful yeah Um, but we have we have typically left those sorts of things in the beds and 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 i think part of the reason for doing that is you you complain to the organization that you feel aggrieved about and in all probability you're worried that uh, They'll simply do a whitewash and do nothing. So, well, what's the point of complaining in the first way? Well, from from July the 1st, we have a completely new complaints process uh, within our area. Um, And that is that the commissioners for our area, I refer to it as the ICB, it's the Integrated Care Board, for Hertfordshire and West Essex. Not the international cricket body. Not the the international cricket body. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, so the the, the Integration Care Board have got their own complaints process now, and you can complain to them, and they will do an independent review of what's happened and what's going on. 
and I think that tightens the gap enormously. So uh, you can contact them by email or by telephone. Uh, the details again are in the article. And if you feel uh, a number of people I've talked to about putting complaints in, they they know what the complaint is, but they, they don't feel able to articulate it in the sort of language that a complaints group would, would do, act upon. Mm. Um, so there's a group called Power, um, uh, and, and again, they're on the website. Their um, contact details are on the website, and they will help you in terms of uh, identifying exactly what the issues are and how you can best articulate that complaint. So don't hesitate to speak up. Okay. Um, I don't know about whether this is unique to me or, or whether this is something that others feel, but when when feeling the urge to complain, I, I often don't want to make it formal. I, I often feel like I'd really like to talk to somebody. I'd like to share what I think the problem is and get some sort of assurance from somebody that they'll look into it, that they'll sort that out, they'll address it. I, I very rarely feel like I want to make a formal complaint. And yet it seems like there there is often a reluctance for that. That, that you say, well, you know, can, can, can I can I can I talk to somebody? Could somebody call me and I'd like to talk about this particular issue? And and, and on two or three different occasions recently, I, I've I've met this and and been told, well, no, no, you have to make a formal complaint. And I think, well, I don't really want to, uh, except that I, I kind of think, well, if you do that, I'm worried that it could be that somebody gets into trouble. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be the answer either. And and I don't know, is this just me, Alan? Or, 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 or do you think that when people do have these sorts of complaints, they sometimes would like to handle it on a more informal basis, or at least to begin with, to get advice on whether their complaint has merit or not, and, and whether it can be resolved without a complaint? Well, I, I think a lot of people do feel like that. I, you've got to think, first of all, what's the motive of doing this complaint? It's happened... Uh, whatever it was, mm. it's it's in the past. If you complain, it's not going to do any good because it's all happened, it's all done, it's all over. Um, but the point is, if the system doesn't know it, then it'll happen to someone else. And, and, and to many people, or most people I've talked to, that's the reason that they would make the complaint, because, because of... Uh, the impact on someone else and the, and the hope that you're, you're saving someone else from having to go through that uh, yeah. distress. You're trying to improve a situation, trying to pro- improve a system, trying to provide feedback. Yes. But, uh, and, 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 and in the main, or in, in, in an ideal world, a complaint is an opportunity to learn. Mm. A, a complaint is an opportunity to recognise something's happening. We need to change something to make sure that doesn't happen again. So it's a learning, and it's not really a complaint against someone having done something wrong. It's a complaint against the process rather than the people. Yeah. And um, and it is just that that, I, that concept that you've got to learn from the complaint and, and make some changes. And I think uh, uh, the, certainly the system, I think, now is much more open to that. Uh, but I, and if you if, if people are having problems, just articulating and getting their head around what is it exactly they want to complain about, just contact Power. They'll help you in in formulating the uh, the complaint itself. Okay, and once again, all of those details can be found in Alan's article that accompanies this uh, episode, and you can find the link to that in our show notes. 
Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for this St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning. For more information, visit stalbanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. We're back with Bellinger. Hi, Smith. We're back indeed. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the impact that the COVID lockdown had on on young children because there's a recent piece of research that that I thought was really captured captured it very well. Um, The the first impact of of the lockdown was um, that babies had much smaller social groups um, because parent and baby group activities were called off. You stayed in the, the house much more. Um, and, and so one, one of the examples they gave is that one in four babies hadn't met a child of their own age by their first birthday. And that's, I mean, you think really babies, children, young children like that, Really need some sort of social activity with their, with other other children of their own sort of similar mm. age. So one in four hasn't had any contact with another uh, child of that age was uh, is quite significant. Um, much poorer speech as a result of COVID. So speech development was was slowed down, um, and fewer could point or or wave bye-bye to to someone so it's that, that sort of activity was was much less i got an awful lot of um, kids their first word during lockdown was netflix <laughs> but no i mean it's you know th- there is a, there is an untold cost um of, of the lockdowns that 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 we're starting to appreciate now yeah through the reviewing process of what happened and how we responded and you know the, these things perhaps hurt almost as much as catching covid would have hurt you know the, and 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 you know stifling um, a child's development is is you know is a massive cost it is however i guess it, it's not all bad there was some upside there was right. some upside there was much better parental bonding um, again because of working from home or or being on furlough um, and also babies could crawl quicker than than they could in, um, the pre-covid ones could do so there was some upside to it but there's some interesting consequences that uh, that the lockdown had and indeed moving on to the next subject of child, children in covid like children and measles um, because the measles jab you have the child has a, a jab at uh, 12 months and then another one at five years and because of COVID and the inaccessibility of uh, being able to get into doctor's surgeries and so on, a lot of that follow-up of, of, of the EBMR jab uh, didn't happen. And so those children that, for example, are starting um, school in, in September, uh, many of them will not have had their uh, year five jab. Uh, and so they're less protected than they should be. And... Uh, and measles is a is, is a tricky old um, virus. It spreads through re- respiratory droplets uh, from an infected person, and and so in a school environment where the children are all close together, that's the environment in which if if one child has got measles in that school, that's going to spread very rapidly. So there's a there is a concern that um, 
that measles may may come back in, in quite a bit. So it's, is there anything that parents can do with kids who might have missed a vaccination? Is there any way of, of, of catching that up in some way? Yeah, sure. If there is a new disease outbreak, it, it can be controlled by emergency vacu- uh, vaccination. I'm and, just thinking if there's anybody... Sure that, that if they don't have contact with other children while they're infectious. Okay, I was just thinking if there's anybody listening who thinks, well, actually, yeah, we, you know, we did miss the vaccinations, can they now do anything or do they have to wait until there's some sort of outbreak and then get an emergency one? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you contact the surgery, they would be able to, to give the jab. Right. And so if, if you have missed it, by all means, follow that up with the surgery because, uh, again, particularly thinking of that new cohort going into the school mm. year... Because there have been outbreaks in London, haven't there? There have been quite significant outbreaks. I think um, the problem in London is that the, vac- the, the vaccination rate has fallen to around about 60%, um, and it needs to be 95% to, be, to keep the virus under control. And, and obviously those, that sort of uh, problems in London could easily bleed back into, into St Albans with, the, uh, with people going into the office much more nowadays. Mm. Okay. Right. And now we're going to move on to uh, fertility treatments and IVF. So fertility treatments has, has been a little bit of a problem in our area. Um, we're, we're, we're the, uh, the, I referred to it earlier as the, the Integrated Care Board, our commissioners. Um, they, they do restrict the, treat, the access to treatments to an extent. Um, and there's a consult, consultation coming up. But in reality, they haven't changed the basis of that. So um, I'm not going to go into the detail of what's in the, the, the consultation. I think if, if you or you know someone who has been infected, affected uh, by access to fertility treatment, either positively or negatively, then, then go to the, uh, the, the address on the, on the, in the article. Uh, there's a, a full update there of what, where they are, what they're doing as changes, and they're asking for, for people's reaction to those changes. How far back are they looking to, to get feedback from? I mean, you know, are we talking about people within the last year or last two years, or, or, or could, is it a longer period than it, that? It's a longer period. It's anyone that's had any experience. Right, of, so of even if it was some treatment. time ago, if people wish to respond, they can Exa- Exactly. Okay. But yep, exactly. All right, and the, uh, the link to that, again, is in the article that uh, you've put together, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay. And finally, the, um, the new elective hub at the St Albans City Hospital that's planned for uh, opening in April, we talked about that last month, this is to do um, elective operations, so minor operations uh, for people who are currently on that waiting list, and that will be available to all people across Hertfordshire and West Essex. So it's a real way of being able to take, take um, ha- have an impact on that waiting list. But to come back to where we started, as long as the uh, doctors are working, uh, that will uh, that will be very effective and um, a great way of, of taking the St Albans City Hospital forward when that opens in in, uh, in April, and I'll keep you up to date with uh, what's happening and what's going on with that. Okay, uh, Alan Bellinger, thank you very much for taking the time to put this together. Uh, no health matters in August, but you'll be back with, with a bang in September, won't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. And if people are wondering what the, what the sound of those uh, jingling bells are, <laughs> then I should explain that Alan is also part-time a Morris dancer, and he's fu- currently fully dressed in all his <laughs> Morris dancing regalia, and he's itching to go out and wave his ankies about. <laughs> Either that or his pet dog's here in the studio as well. It's one of those two, certainly. <laughs> it's one of them. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, Alan, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Heart Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.